All right, we are here with a spot of bother, but first, Caitlin has got NVIDIA. Well, yes, I do have NVIDIA. Actually, some very good news about NVIDIA. This is a long time coming, way too late. Uh, so, Foronix.com has an article here talking about, well, it's written by Michael Larbell in Display Drivers. Okay, so what's the big deal? NVIDIA is going to release their drivers as open source. Finally, 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 finally. They're catching up with AMD on this matter. So for a long time, if you ran Linux, it often was a good idea to run the AMD graphics cards on your system because the AMD graphics cards are all open source. And so what that means is that you're not going to have many issues trying to install the drivers. As it's currently set up, the NVIDIA drivers are closed source, so you end up having to do these complicated maneuvers to download the proprietary drivers from NVIDIA sites. It doesn't come with the operating system. You can't run a single command to install everything automatically. The operating systems almost never come packaged with the NVIDIA drivers. And so when you install Linux, everything is set up correctly except your GPU. And NVIDIA is a huge maker of GPUs. They're probably, I would argue, Although AMD is very competitive, I would argue that NVIDIA is sort of the Intel of GPUs. Like if you have a, if you want a GPU and money's no object, like NVIDIA is the way to go. Um, when you start getting budget into things, sometimes AMD can be a better, better deal. But uh, I mean, they really pioneered things like the, um, like the real-time ray tracing which has been absolutely amazing to see. I never thought I'd ever see real-time ray tracing, but NVIDIA did it. They got it out there first. And their graphics cards, I think, are fantastic. And the fact that their open source drivers now are available for Linux, there's no reason, you know, just NVIDIA solved all their problems, essentially. This is good news. And this is, so you got all this trouble because you use Linux. If you just used Windows the way God intended, then everything would be fine. If you used Windows, you would still have to download the drivers, you know, somehow. I think probably Microsoft and NVIDIA has something going on. But I, I'd argue that the drivers on Windows are even worse than Linux. Um, because on Windows, you have like the GeForce experience, where it tries to like install all this background stuff that goes through and sees what you have installed. So the funny thing about game development is that a lot of game developers kind of suck at their job. <laughs> Um, and so they'll design these engines, 3D engines, they're absolutely amazing, but they'll forget to, like, for example, do proper frame buffering because uh, they don't know how to do it right. And so one of the things that the uh, NVIDIA drivers do is they sort of correct for bad programming mistakes uh, on the side of game developers. Uh, so it'll see what you have installed, optimize the settings for your graphics card, um, and has to have to constantly update. And every time the the driver's update is a big hassle. Um, I would argue that if the way to go moving forward uh, is actually a Linux desktop, that's probably the easiest, less frustrating way to go, unless you actually have software that runs on Windows that you need to run, which is most of the time. But Like those games you might want to play. Actually, I've heard really good things about the latest um, offerings from Steam and Valve and I think it's called like Proton, uh, where it's kind of like wine, but designed specifically for games. Uh, and you can run a lot of stuff under Linux now. 
Wow. Uh, w- which is where the whole like Steam Deck comes in. Uh, so like Valve just put out a whole new game console called the Steam Deck, and it runs on, I think, Arch Linux, of all things. <laughs> and it it's designed well, to the run games. a big market. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it runs Windows games. That's its entire point of existence. It runs Windows games, and it's, you know, running Linux. So, you so know. Why don't they put it on some Linux somebody would use, like Ubuntu? <laughs> Well, be, well, the Steam Deck is just, it's like a Switch, a Nintendo Switch, where it's just a game console. Okay. Um, and as far as just being a game console, it's apparently fine. I haven't, I haven't played with it. I'm talking about stuff I haven't, I haven't played with, but like I said, I've heard very good things about, um, about where Linux is going with gaming, which has always been one of the big issues with Linux. And I'm surprised it took this long to really address these major issues. So one of the major issues was... But, you know, open was closed source drivers on Linux because that just gets in the way of everything, gets rid, gets in the way of the whole process of getting Linux set up. And so this article in particular talks about overcoming that specific hurdle. Another big hurdle with Linux has just been closed source software in general, uh, including, um, you know, paid software like Photoshop, um, as well as games. And it seems like a lot of momentum has been made in the past few years on that front as well with things like there's the app packs where you can download packages that aren't like tailored to your specific operating system and just run them like you would a Windows executable. Uh, now, unfortunately, when you do that, the GUIs are all messed up and everything. And there's still a long way to go because, of course, it's, it's Linux. But things are moving along, surprisingly. It seemed like there was kind of a lull when Ubuntu released their new GUI that was terrible and like no one wants to use Linux anymore, but it seems like things are improving a bit. So. All right. Yeah. Well, I've got the, I think of as the big story, which of course is the crypto crash, which is theatrical and amazing. And the incredible thing is, I mean, I was following it yesterday and the fourth most important stable coin broke and fell below a dollar. And that was the end of Luna. And, but I've been saying right for like years that the only thing that would really destroy crypto is if Tether broke and then Tether broke. Although Tether only fell down to 95 cents briefly and then got back to a dollar. Now, because Luna was madness. Luna had an algorithmic stable coin that just planned to stabilize their stable coin from their other coin that was going to float. And then when that crashed, they had bought one and a half billion dollars of Bitcoin, which they said they could sell. But then they sold that or borrowed against it and it was all gone and they had nothing. And so it all crashed. Um, But Tether claims persistently that they really have 80 billion dollars of cash to back their 80 billion dollars of Tether that's out there, which is almost certainly false. They've been chewed for it. All the accounting firms that were supposed to verify it have quit in disgust and said they never really proved it. And it's pretty clear that they don't really have the dollar reserve. But anyway, Tether hasn't completely collapsed yet. And, uh, but anyway, it's Terra actually froze their entire blockchain. And I said, boy, that's the end of it. But then they brought it back. And so late last night when Ted was, I, I taught a class and when it was down by 99.99%, I bought $100 of it and it went up to 130 in two minutes. And like half an hour later, it was at $300. And then it fell to like $5 and then to like zero. And now it's on $1 and zero. Now it's back up to $5. So anyway, it's, it's crypto madness. Um, but apparently it's going to come back to some extent. Anyway, um, so this, every, every crypto has been falling with the general economy, the stock market falling and everything falling, but then crypto falls much worse, of course, because it's much less stable. And so um, 
they're talking about regulating stable coins in Washington. That's something Elizabeth Warren's been talking about for a while. And it's certainly saying that it is such a fraud because they tell you your money is safe. It's going to stay at a dollar, but it's not really backed up by anything. So that's not true. And when it crashes, as it inevitably will, it might drag the whole market down. So her point is it's a risk to the entire economy. And uh, so that might be true, but I highly doubt that uh, that our, our Senate can pass anything. Everything will get filibustered. But El Salvador bet their entire government on Bitcoin and um, tried to use it as a medium of exchange, which completely failed, and just bought 500 more Bitcoin, saying the price is low, let's buy the dip. And now they're, everyone's saying Bitcoin just keeps falling. So El Salvador is probably going to default on their loans from the IMF because they put all their money in Bitcoin and the Bitcoin fell. So unless Bitcoin goes back up pretty soon, El Salvador will have an immense financial crash. But of course, their president is betting what a lot of people bet, that Bitcoin will go up and then he'll be a hero. The country will be saved. So anyway, um, NFTs crashed a ton and um, Madonna has appeared. I'm trying to explain why NFTs haven't totally crashed to zero. And it's because a whole bunch of major banks and big investment firms have moved in like, like Andreessen Horowitz and others, and they won't let it crash. They're holding it up with influxes of money, throwing bad money, good money after bad to try to hold it up. And NF Madonna just released an NFT collection, which is a cartoon of her giving birth to like all the plants and animals on the world or something. And uh, um, it seems like the worst possible time to roll out an NFT right now. <laughs> but anyway, uh, crypto... is there ever a truly bad time to roll out an NFT, Sam? I mean, come on. I don't know. I think there was a <laughs> there was a good time, uh, maybe about a year ago or, or eight nine months ago, when it was they were really hot and the prices were going up. Now I'm but not the so... world has become such a better place thanks to NFTs. Well, <laughs> it's certainly more entertaining. Uh, the NFTs do create wild madness. So anyway, I'll be teaching my crypto class again next semester and the workshop at DEF CON and stuff on the mathematics behind this stuff is very good. As an investment vehicle, it all leaves something to be desired. But anyway, um, it is endlessly entertaining. Anyway, let's go back to, to you, you've, Caitlin. You've got these websites that are spying on you. Yes, again, believe it or not, <laughs> websites are spying on users. <laughs> I know, it's shocking. Mm -hmm. So Wired has an article by Lily Hey Newman uh, talking about how when you type things into forms on websites, you know, sometimes you make mistakes, you type the wrong thing in, you push backwards, no big deal, right? Well, a kind of a big deal because what's going on is that a lot of these sites are essentially acting like keyloggers. So anytime you put in anything onto the website, you know, it, it captures it, it looks at what's going on. And so if you accidentally put in the wrong password or the wrong email that you didn't mean to put on the site, uh, even if you don't submit, the uh, website that you're on will still get that information, uh, which is problematic. And so like how many websites are doing this? Is it just like malicious ones? Well, no, a lot of the top websites are, are doing this. Uh, so um, yeah, if there's, so just because you're not clicking submit does not mean they're getting that data. Does not mean they're not pulling that data from the forms, uh, which, yeah. How do so, they do that actually? They're running JavaScript to catch every keystroke? Yep, they're using JavaScript to catch every keystroke send it through to the to their servers. So they're um, running a keylogger. 
pretty much. I mean, but it's not like a keylogger for the system, just the web page. Yeah. So like if you're in like Word or something, it will um it wouldn't catch that. Yeah. I wonder yeah. if um I wonder if you could block it in your browser. Browsers do block some of the uh malicious JavaScript. You could just add these. I mean, sure. Uh, I mean, I imagine it's kind of a momentous task to try to figure out what is legitimate, you know, JavaScript yeah. traffic and what's not. Um, but, but yeah, they, so they do have anti-stroke jacking techniques, which is essentially what this is. Pretty much. Um, yeah. So uh, for U.S. users, it says here. Uh, let me pull it back down here. Yeah. Uh, it says down here for for U.S. users, eight thousand four hundred thirty-eight sites uh, may have been leaking data to Meta, um, and seven thousand three hundred seventy-nine sites may have impacted EU users. For TikTok, right? Uh, Pixel, the group found one hundred fifty-four sites for U.S. users, one hundred forty-seven. So this is pretty widespread and a common practice, and I imagine it's used for <coughs> um, determining what's going on with the. Um, with the site and for analytics, like how people are using the site, et cetera. But it, it, there's a privacy issue that's not being addressed. Yeah, I've seen those articles. I hear that the podcast ads, you can find out exactly what they click on and how long they spend on each part of your website. And then you can find out which part is the bad part that makes them leave. Yep. Yeah, I'm sure sense. that that's their primary purpose. And you like all things, you know, it's, it, that alone probably isn't too bad, but when you realize that these companies get hacked and that this data is probably permanently stored somewhere that you don't want it stored, you know, it's like, wait a minute. <laughs> I guess it seems like a subtle privacy risk compared to the other ones. I mean, there are times when I accidentally put stuff I don't mean to put into websites. Oh, uh, yes. You know, um, passwords for other things. Yeah. Um, you know. Especially yeah. when you use a password manager and you copy and paste your passwords all the time, it's very easy to accidentally put the wrong password in. And Yeah, I don't do that in my password manager. I click on it and type the name of the website and it opens the page and fills in the right password for that page. So I don't have that problem. That usually works most of the time for me. Once in a while, it doesn't. So Yeah. Yeah, sometimes I have to copy and paste. Yeah. Yep. All right. All right. Well, um, anyway, there's uh, San Francisco's famously corrupt government. There is a three initiatives coming up, supposedly to reform and do something about the outrageous corruption in our government, which might be nice. I don't know how much they're going to do. One of them I know is Recology, our garbage collecting service, and also the housing inspection service, um, building inspection. These are famously extremely corrupt. And uh, there are propositions to make changes in the city government to supposedly address this corruption. So we'll see if that does any good. Um, but one thing I was surprised is to find out why reading instruction is terrible in San Francisco. I remember this from when I was a child, you know, several hundred years ago. Um, there was always talking about how American kids couldn't read when they got out of school. And apparently this is true of San Francisco. 55% of the students do not learn English. And apparently this is because, and boy, being in education in San Francisco, I can really believe this, because they invented some new special way to teach reading, which is not the way I learned. I remember learning to read. You would learn how the letters sounded, and then you would sound out a word. They would tell you to read this letter, read that letter, read that letter, and figure out how it sounds. And they decided sounds like that that's the wrong way to teach. 
And they sounds like you were. I was going to say, sounds like you were hooked on phonics, Sam. Well, this is before they had that word. And we didn't use the word phonics, but they just taught us what the letters were. First, you'd sing the songs, you knew what the letters were. And then you'd look at the page and see what the letters were, and you'd just sort of sound them out, which is the classic way to teach reading long ago. They've invented a new technique, which has been proven many times to not work. And they stubbornly stick to it, claiming that this is better. And uh, that sounds very much like education in San Francisco. <laughs> So in my experience, the best way to teach reading is to get children excited about reading. Well, that would be an option. I mean, if it was actually fun, maybe it would work better. But uh, I, I, apparently whatever they're doing is not working and they're stubbornly claiming it's going to work and you should just give us more time to make it work, which is basically Chesa Bounin's story too. <laughs> and anyway, um, and in other local news, uh, an appeals court has ruled California attempted to limit the sale of semi-automatic weapons to people under 21. And this appeals court has ruled that that is unconstitutional. You must let the young people have more guns. So I'm sure that will help improve things. Yeehaw. <laughs> well, you know, it occurred to me after I originally was pouring scorn on this article that they're probably right. I mean, if I don't understand how you can have an age limit like 21 on it, that probably is unconstitutional. I don't know, but in general, I'm not sure we need more guns, especially in younger people. But you are not a real American, Sam. How could I, you possibly say we don't need more guns? I know. I got no guns. I got no pickup truck. I got no television. I'm basically a communist. I'm aware of this. Um, yes. Anyway, and now we can go to you with, with the awesome story about the center of the galaxy. Yes, finally, finally. Uh, so the Event Horizon Telescope, eventhorizontelescope.org, the official site for all things Event Horizon, um, has a press release talking about how we took the, or I have to say not we, but astronomers, uh, who I had no part in, uh, in this, astronomers took the first image of Sagittarius A star, which is the black hole at the center of our galaxy. Previously, uh, we've taken pictures of M87 star, which is the heart of the M87 galaxy, which is much larger. The, it's a much larger black hole than Sagittarius A star. And so we were able to do that earlier on. Uh, Sagittarius A is obscured by a bunch of dust and it's in the center of our galaxy and it's, and it's much smaller than M87 star, but we took pictures and here they are. Look at this. You can actually see the, um, the Doppler shift that's going on. So what's happening is that the from this image, the debris, uh, the accretion disk is spinning inward in a clockwise rotation. And so it's spinning so fast that you see these uh, bright lights where the, where the debris, where the accretion disk is spinning towards us. And you see it gets kind of dimmer as it spins away from us. The accretion um, disk is not flat? It is, it is flat. The problem is you're looking at a black hole. Uh, so you, the light bends around it. Okay. So you can actually see the entire accretion disk even behind the black hole itself. So it's sort of distorted. Very distorted. In fact, let me pull up another browser. Let's, so uh, Kip Thorne uh, was the researcher in, in charge of uh, Interstellar. And he came up with the models for that movie and wrote a bunch of papers about how it was done. Um, black hole image. And so these, so Interstellar, weirdly enough, has like probably some of the best images of what a black hole would look like. Um, ah, here we go. Here's one. So what happens is that you have a, um, uh, 
I can't do I can't do computers anyway. Um, but, yeah, let me try. There we go. Okay, something a bit larger there. Uh, so what happens is that the um, oh. the accretion goes, goes around it, and then the light from behind the black hole is so distorted that you can actually see behind the black hole above it. And that's what we're seeing in this image here. So that's why so it you, looks okay, like an eye. That's why it looks like an eye. So we're not like viewing it, you know, straight on, you know, from above, like you would, like it kind of looks like. What we're actually seeing is all sides because mm -hmm. um, the accretion, you can see all sides of the accretion disk from around the black hole. Wow. Well, that's a cool. few other images. Yeah. So that's what they really look like. It, very grainy, very poor, but it's a, it's a black hole. Something, you know, when I was born, black holes were science fiction. Like I know they, were, uh, they argued that they, maybe they didn't even exist at all. And they certainly yeah, had never seen one. No one has ever seen one. They thought maybe they didn't exist. Like they were kind of wishy-washy, like science fiction, black holes. Oh yeah. Right. Like you weren't a serious astrophysicist if you were studying black holes, but here they are. Yeah. Plain as the eye can see, uh, literally. That's great. Okay. And uh, anyway, a student, I, I saw the FBI crime report. It came up in an article from uh, 2021, and it was really very interesting. I was surprised at the uh, importance of different crimes. And they, they rate them by the total dollars there. Let me get down to the right page here. But the number one crime is business email compromise. And that steals more than a billion dollars a year. And after that, um, it's non-payment, non-delivery. That's not it. Just a minute. There we are. There, I've got it. So it's business email compromise, then investment fraud. And the number third is confidence fraud slash romance. And when I talked about this, one of the students in class said, yeah, my relative lost all their money to a ranch fraud. It's really big. It's a billion dollars a year. And the largest one business email compromise is only $2 billion a year. It's the number three largest financial loss crime. And so I was interested to see a story in um, I think the New York Times, no, the Daily Beast has one about a woman in Houston who was called by, contacted over Twitter or some IM service from someone who said he was Leonard DiCaprio. And over the course of a year, he managed to convince her that he was Leonard DiCaprio and he was being, his money was all being held hostage by the Scientologists and she needed to give him money to like get him to his bigger bank account. And they had, he had real conversations with him so she could tell from his voice he really was Leonard DiCaprio and so on. And this went on. And then it came out when she actually finally became suspicious and got the FBI involved. They said, you know, there were a lot of clues. There's And the records show there were times when you said he sounded fake and he sounded like he had an accent. But your desire to see what you wanted to see was so great that you overlooked those red flags and even sort of forgot it happened and remembered that he proved he was real. Very much like when people sink into a religious cult or when they watch, start watching Tucker Carlson, it's, it's these scam artists know how to manipulate the human desire to believe something. And, I, uh, I yeah. had, oh, I was gonna say, I, have, I had a roommate who fell for the romance scam and she was like the perfect mark. She was one of those people that needed to be in a relationship to feel like whole. And yeah. there are people like that. They feel like I can't be alone or else, you know, this is the most terrible we, thing in the world. I don't get it. We would be extinct if we didn't have this powerful mating instinct. <laughs> Yeah, I, I I totally don't get it. I love living by myself. I don't want to share a bed. I don't I don't get it. Yeah. But uh, there are people out there that are just like, I need to be in a relationship. Like yeah. I'm miserable if I'm not in a relationship. She was one of those people. She met this person online who claimed to be from Ghana. 
uh, but like, you know, had was just like military over there and um, then wanted to start using her as a mule for like, you know, getting products in and out of the United States and doing crime and stuff like that. And I was like, you know, this is, you know, clearly a romance scam. Like, you know, this is not okay. You're in a romance scam. And she's like, no, it's not a romance scam. It's true love. And so I was like, okay, well, whatever you do, don't talk to your quote unquote boyfriend about this. Don't let it, don't let this person know we're on to him. You know, if you don't want to believe, fine, but don't tell him. So of course she tells him immediately, like, my 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 roommates think you're a fraud, you know. And I was like, stop that, stop that, stop doing that. And then she kept doing it, kept doing it. And then it went on for like months of me telling her this is a fraud, a scam. Um, and then finally, uh, the thing that, that broke the camel's back, uh, the straw that broke the camel's back was that he sent her images of himself that he lifted from um, a gay porn star that I guess he thought looked fantastic. I mean, there's, there's, no, there's no star like a gay porn star. I mean, let's just be honest here. And I was not aware of that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, no. Gay porn stars are fantastic i mean they they're they're the embodiment of perfection anyway um so he sent sent her these pictures of his like beautiful body and how good looking he was and of course someone that good looking has to go overseas to find a (laughs) from ghana and um and i was like send me those pictures of him and then finally i you know reverse google searched the images and i found the source of the gay porn star and i was like are these the images that that the person sent you and i showed her the images of the, the gay porn stars and she's like yeah that's him that's my boyfriend and I kept showing her this is the this is the gay porn star and that's finally got the wheels turning uh but it, it was months of just like this is a scam uh and then her saying no it can't be a scam we love each other he but just wants he me to do money? some crime he got he got I mean she was not wealthy uh but he got like thousands of dollars from her yeah. I mean it was I tried, I did everything I could out, out, you know, she's an adult. I can't control her life, but I did everything I could, you know, to sort of let her know and help her out. But unfortunately, yeah, these, there are people out there, like I said, that really feel intensely, like they really need to be in a relationship and telling them that their boyfriend or someone that they're, you know, emotionally involved with is a fraud uh, can be devastating. Yeah, and I think going into like religious culture, political culture is very much the same. You want to feel like you're in a community. You want to feel like people respect you and you're getting status. And so you'll just conform to whatever the rules are to get in. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of that. You know, I I really wish one of the things that that I could teach people is uh, emotional intelligence, you know, emotional control, where you sort of take a step back once in a while and sort of assess how emotionally invested you are in something. And if you're too emotionally invested, really take the time to step back and take a deep breath. You know, there there are some things certainly that are kind of worth our time to be emotionally invested in, but not everything. And if you find yourself being too emotionally invested in like politics of the day, um, even with, with bad stuff going on, like Roe v. Wade being overturned and all this stuff, if you're, if it's causing you distress and you're super upset, maybe it's time to step back, you know, really assess things and just try to work logically and with compassion rather than fear and anger and upsetness. And which is a new word that I'm going to make a thing, upsetness. Um, and yeah, I, but I don't know how to teach that. I don't know how to, you know, get people on board with that, but it would no, be, I, we, yeah. 
I think you're right. And I know this is why uh, one of the Buddhist rules I've seen is that you spend time alone every day and uh, just think about things, get rid of all the noise. And this is what they don't let you do in cult groups. They flood you with stuff and say you have to not talk to anybody outside the cult and break all your relationships with them and stay only in this closed environment where you're reinforced. Well, in the, the Buddhist teachings I was taught is you're actually not supposed to think. Right. Uh, you, yes. Yeah. You, you sort of. But you have to, but you get away from all the distractions and clear yourself, you clear your mind. Right. You, you just sort of, it's so easy to get into this mindset where your thoughts are just kind of twirling and twirling and twirling yes. and just taking a step back just for 10 minutes, clearing your mind, you know, just listening to the water, listening to your computer fans, just being part of the environment. Yeah, I think yeah, outside your head. I think yeah. you have to, that's why I think vacations and stuff are good. You have to get away from everything and consider. Then you can get a fresh look at what you're doing and whether you really should keep doing it. Right. Anyway, uh, the last one here I thought was very interesting. They, um, they had it on the uh, New Abnormal last night. Um, why is Elon Musk doing this stuff, pretending to say he's going to buy Twitter for this outrageous amount of money, which he can't afford, then borrowing the money with a bunch of increasingly shaky deals, now today saying he's not going to do it because pretending that a report that came out two weeks ago, he just discovered saying that the number of bots on the platform is different than what he thought it was. And um, the their argument, which sounds pretty good, is this is all a scam. All this thing about buying Twitter was a way to distract people so he could sell some of his Tesla stock. And that's something Scott Galloway said about a year ago, is that Tesla is insanely overvalued. And as I was looking at the crypto prices last night in class, I suddenly realized what's going on with Tesla. Because Tesla is insanely overvalued. Another thing Scott Galloway's been yelling about for years, the market capitalization of Tesla is bigger than all other car manufacturers combined. And yet the number of cars they produce is like under 10% of all the cars. It's like 5% of all the cars. So it makes absolutely no sense for the valuation. So Tesla is not a normal stock being sold at a multiple of earnings. It's a meme stock like Bitcoin selling at some wildly inflated price that is living entirely on froth. So the only thing that holds it up is this personality cult of worshiping Elon Musk and his fame. He might as well be Madonna selling NFTs. He's selling a product where its intrinsic value is negligible. And the bidding price is just due to his popularity, and he knows it. So he can't. He want, he, what he needs to do is to sell his stock now while the price is high, to realize some of those gains before it inevitably crashes. When pe whenever he becomes unpopular and it falls down to its actual logical price, which would be like one fifth or one tenth of what it's at, and it has been falling. So it does seem like a pretty good explanation that this whole stir about Twitter and letting Trump on and everything, and the outrageously incendiary tweets, like saying the problem with America is the left people move too far to the left while the right people have just stayed fixed and continue to make perfect sense, which seems like you couldn't really believe that, but it's just a way to get people mad. It's all a distraction so he can sell his Tesla sock. And then he's going to just pull out of the uh, Twitter deal and not do it. Anyway. I, I mean, that that's kind of conspiracy theorist, but I don't but put this, it Until past... a conspiracy, it was just one person. Yeah. This is, this is how... Um, the rich people have to maneuver. And I think it's definitely how anybody holding a meme stock has to maneuver. And this is why I think it's quite logical that he moved into Dogecoin because it's really the same thing as Tesla. It's living entirely on froth. You know, it might be a good idea moving forward. If instead of having this 
hypercapitalist system where the rich essentially live off their wealth, maybe we move towards systems that encourage actual work and actual productivity. Well, uh, that is an interesting idea. I know that, I mean, this is, I guess, what Elizabeth Warren wants to do, reinstitute controls over the market and trading and monopolies to try to decrease the amount of people that just make money by throwing money around and increase, therefore increase the people that actually do something productive. Right. I mean, it's, it's a pretty radical idea. And, and there's a lot of opposition, very powerful opposition. Yeah. I and mean, this is one of the problems with a lot of, and like I said, that, that's kind of a radical idea, but there's a lot of common sense ideas that just will not happen because it benefits the wealthy too much, like getting money out of politics, which is, I mean, pretty much every American, I don't care what side of the aisle you're on, you want to get money out of politics. This is not a left or right issue. This is, a, this is an issue that affects everybody. And no, I think, oh, I think it's a left issue because no, I, no. I, you think so? Uh, yeah, no, I haven't, I haven't met any conservatives who are like, oh, I love the fact that, you know, large corporations can, you know, invest, you know, millions of dollars into a candidate and just ignore myself. Because one of the one of the big issues with conservative vo voters is they really do feel like they're being squashed. I mean, granted, they kind of I would argue that they kind of lash out at the wrong people. Uh, a lot of times, a lot of conservatives will like lash out at like minorities and really they're, they're allies. They should be allies because um, the, the conservatives who are sort of lashing out really are being oppressed. They're being stomped on. They really do feel these pressures of the economy weighing down on them. Um, the only issue is that they really don't know who to blame. Um, and it's not easy. It's really not easy. Um, and so I've, I've always said that, you know, if it wasn't for, you know, these large scale propagandist, you know, like mechanisms, if people just kind of got together and sort of discussed these issues one-on-one, -on -one, ignoring political sides, um, I think that the Republican party would have been dust a long time ago. I know um, if you actually had one person, one vote, it's only all the money that's holding up this minority system where the, where the rural white males get so much power. I mean, they would right. be against their, but their it, they don't get power though. stuff. Yeah, but they would, it would be contrary to their white supremacy stuff to actually get the money out of politics. But they might well, not realize no. that. Well, no. I mean, I, I, even the white supremacists, I don't think, are, are pro-money in politics. I, almost no one is, as far as I know. Hmm. Um, They're dependent but on it. They apparently don't realize it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe. <laughs> I mean, I, if there was a realistic push to, to get money out of politics, I think you're right, Sam. I think that Fox News, Newsmax would go on rants about it. Tucker Carlson would be talking well, about how evil burning, this right? That was Bernie's big platform, and everybody on the right and the left conspired to get the hell rid of him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but that's because there's just it benefits such a the small minority of very powerful people. Yeah, the lobbyists. Well, who, it, it, it keeps the whole system yeah. running. There's the lobbyists and all the corporations and everything. Yeah, but I mean, you know, there's a lot of people who realize that the system is is fundamentally broken, but they don't know how to fix it. And I yes. could argue that that is why we had the insurrection on January 6th, that, oh, yes. that these people understand that the system is broken, that, that they are being oppressed, you know, that they are not being heard, but they're lashing out at the wrong people. They're being manipulated yes. to lash out at the wrong people. Yes. And this, I think, is, is the fundamental problem. And the, uh, the, the, uh, the attempts to control it with government control often make things worse. So 
Um, this is like Elon Musk raising the issue of censorship on Twitter again. You know, if you don't have any censorship, then you're filled with trolls and manipulated, coordinated activity and, and false medicine and stuff. And so, so you impose some controls, but then your controls are like uh, stifling speech and there's just no choice. You either control it and hold it down to what the authority figures can understand or you don't control it. And then you, then the most powerful conspiracies take over. What's so, the alternative? But here's, well, they, well, Sam, there are, we're looking right now at things that are not working in America. So right, let's look at you. something that, that absolutely does work, works fantastically well. I wouldn't change it for anything. And that is the separation of powers, where you have three branches of government and each acts as a um, check and balance on the others. That's not working at all. All it of is, Trump's it, people are ignoring subpoenas from Congress. The Supreme Court is just bought and sold by the Koch brothers through fraud. Did you just call them McConnell. Koch brothers? I, I mean, love it. Well, I mean, I mean the, it was the... Um, the Repub basically Mitch McConnell. Yeah. What? Uh, the Koch brothers. Oh, could be. Anyway, the point is, I, but I love it. I'm going to call them the Koch brothers. Yeah, anyway, anyway, the, uh, <laughs> I mean, I think the separation has completely broken down. And as a matter of fact, so do the, um, the objective measures of democracy. They raided America. It used to be a pure democracy down to a collapsing democracy just because the Trump administration refused subpoenas from Congress. And they said, you're refusing to be oversight, to participate in the oversight of the other branch of government, and it can't compel you. So in fact, our leader is not being checked by the checks and balances. Well, I mean, yeah, we, we do need to strengthen it. But I mean, you can have these systems set up in place to prevent abuses of power. Um, and granted, people are going to try to abuse it anyways. We need yes. to step in and, and change things. But you can- and the, the federal society- after the 50-year plan has essentially overcome the three branches. I, I mean, maybe, but, uh, you know, you can set up checks and balances. You can set up, you can set up uh, institutions within the government to prevent abuses of power that work for the most part. And people are going to try to find a way around it, in which case then you need to update them and make sure that it, you know, keeps up to date. The problem is we're not really keeping them up to date because once people get around it, they ascend to power. And then they're like, no, no, it, this is great. I like this. <laughs> you know, I like that I can get around these, these loopholes. So we, we, I think, you know, having checks and balances, having limits on, on too much influence from one area um, is, is critical to mock, to a democracy. And I mean, as much as you oh, yeah. are saying, yeah, you can't have a, you know, these things are going to fall apart because it's a, you know, it's a government thing. I mean, yeah, okay, I can see that, but it's still important. Like, and it needs to be updated. It needs to be maintained with good faith actors who are, you know, running for the Senate and, and presidency and also make sure that the system's set up so that even the bad faith actors have to keep, you know, balancing the other bad faith actors, you know? So. Well, I know. And, and I mean, that seems to be the problem is that most of our checks and balances system relied upon the good faith of the of the representatives that made it to high positions of power. And when we finally put thoroughly corrupt people in high positions of power, we discovered that the uh, guardrails were not strong enough. Mm -hmm. So, yep, reforms are necessary. Yes. And uh, I don't understand how those reforms can happen, unfortunately. I'd say the only part of America that's working correctly is the free press. I think that's working fine. But I think uh, the courts and the branches of government are not working very well at all. I would actually argue that the free press has a big issue right now as well, Sam. I think you're right that it's still doing a job. I mean, you still have bastions of free press like, you know, the New York Times. But we're also seeing 
in the past few decades, the rise of propaganda networks that have turned being propaganda into you know a profitable business model. They've always been there, but I mean, it's, uh, you're right. The yeah. uh, the the Fox News ecosystem is particularly effective at this Putin type of propaganda. That's the new thing, I think, is the Putin kind of propaganda, where you yeah. don't sell a false message, you just flood the zone with shit. So people give up all hope in the system. That's a, yeah. that's a, apparently that's been around for a while, but it's really taken off in the last 20 years. Yeah. I mean, it'd be great if we just had independent press where every newspaper was just trying to get out the truth, you know, the facts as they see it and get people informed, but that's really not the profit motive of most of these news organizations, which is obviously to get advertisers, get people to keep watching. Yeah. And that usually involves manipulating emotions, uh, yeah. which means wielding either a completely false narrative or a highly warped narrative that gets people upset. Um, and that has rippling effects on our democracy. Because once again, you look at the January 6th insurrection and how these people were, were wholly upset you know, at what was going on about this, you know, election that was supposedly stolen, but of course there was no evidence of this. And where did that narrative come from? But these, you know, yeah, news, yeah. It's essentially a big romance scam. They, they, they believe it because they need to believe it to be in the tribe and they don't need evidence. Right. Yeah. Well, anyway, all right. Well, that's enough for this one. And we'll be back on Tuesday.